In this episode of the Mind's Eye podcast, we're going to be asking the question, is Islam a violent religion? What is myth? What is fact? What is reality? And what is just misguided perceptions of the Western nations about a Middle Eastern religion? We're going to talk about it all next. Stay tuned. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome to the Mind's Eye Podcast. I'm Paul James Caden, and today on the show, we are going to be asking the question, is Islam a violent religion? I'm having this discussion today because there are several people that asked me this question because on my last show I was talking a little bit about some things that were written in the Quran and Islamic prophecy. I also started my other show, uh, The Message, which deals with Sufism and uh, you know leans quite heavily on uh, a Quranic uh, perspective of life in the end times. And this is something I've done in all of my shows since uh, the beginning of my podcasting uh, career, if you want to call it that, uh, where I would mention the Sufi or something written in the Quran and, you know, People come along and, and they want to know, hey, isn't this, uh, you know, violent and, uh, you know, conquering the world in the name of a religion? Uh, why would you want to bother with something like that? So I think this is a great uh, discussion to have because there's a lot about Islam that we don't know, especially here in the West. And I suppose to start the uh, conversation off, we would have to start with the uh, the Islamic holy book, the the Quran. If the everyday Westerner, uh, you know, picks up a copy of the Quran and starts to read it, uh, they will, you know, eventually find things that they will say, "Oh, look at that!" You know, everybody was right. This is a violent book. Look what it's telling Muslims to do. Oh, this is horrible. And actually, there are some uh, Muslims in the, you know, the Middle Eastern countries who have that perspective as well. They will have uh, the notion that we have here in America, in the West, you know, with the fundamentalist uh, religionists who say, well, the Bible has to be taken literally. You know, every word, it's God-inspired, it's God, it's God-breathed, God is the author of the Bible. Uh, we don't question any of it, we just take it at face value for exactly what it says and do exactly what it tells us to do. Now, there are some Muslims in Muslim countries who certainly have that perspective as well. They say, you know, the, um, the Quran is Allah's book. It is inspired by God. We take it for what it says literally, and we follow everything that it tells us to do. And here is where they run into a great deal of trouble. Because what we here in the West don't understand, and, and you know, some Muslims, not all, I mean, there are, uh, of course, many Muslims who understand this. The Quran was not a book that was written like the Bible. It's not 
uh, different books in a chronological order telling a certain story. And so when we read it, it can be very confusing. When I first started reading it years ago, I was like, you know, who could look at this and say this, this is an inspiring book. It's, it's like gibberish, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get it. You know, I feel like a five-year-old wrote, you know, wrote that was, that was my initial first opinion years ago. And I remember telling my wife, I, I don't get it. You know, I, I, I don't get, uh, but as I studied and I learned and I understood that the Quran, what it is, is it's actually a group of revelations that were given to Muhammad. Um, I think it was over like a 30 year, uh, period that he, uh, he wrote the Quran based on these, uh, revelations that he received. And each of those revelations in the Quran pertains to a certain situation or time in Islamic history. And so it's not necessarily telling modern day Muslims, you should do this. I mean, there's a framework there uh, that if understood, uh, tells the modern Muslim uh, how to behave in certain situations, you know, but it's, uh, by no means, you know, an overarching, you know, command, you know, you must do these things because you read it in the Quran. And they, 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 they don't understand, nor do we hear in the West that these were revelations given at certain times during Islamic history. So just for an example, let's focus on the very popular verse that everyone seems to focus on and uh, post on social media when they want to say, you know, Islam is violent. And also uh, many extremist Muslims look at and say, well, the, this, this is the verse that gives us the permission to go out and uh, wage jihad, holy war against the non-believer, you know, start terrorist groups and all this sort of thing. And that is the verse that, that basically says, and I'm, I'm going from memory here, and it says, uh, you know, when, as far as fighting the non-believers, you know, kill them where you find them, you know, uh, et cetera, and so forth. But they don't understand that later down in that verse, it says, but if they make peace, so must you. See, in the Quran, the Muslim is never um, allowed to be the aggressor. The Muslim is never allowed to attack. The Quran says if, uh, those who do that are considered those who make mischief if, uh, upon the earth, and they will even say of themselves, we are the reformers, but God does not guide these people. God does not love these people because, uh, they are the mischief makers. They are, uh, they are the aggressors and God doesn't love the aggressor. So nowhere in the Quran will you ever find that uh, the Muslims or a Muslim is allowed to be an aggressor and just attack someone and make them submit. You know, that is absolutely against uh, what the Quran teaches. But also that verse uh, has historic value and it was given Basically, a little backdrop, uh, Muhammad uh, lived in Mecca, 
And uh, it said he was very well liked uh, when he lived there. And, you know, he was considered to be one of the best men of the community. Uh, He had a very easygoing personality. He was very wise, very gentle. And uh, there were some who even said, you know, if it were possible, you know, we would make you king over us. But the problem was there was a lot of idol worship in Mecca. They had, geez, I don't know how many, I think over a hundred idols. And, you know, they had the, the, the priesthood and, you know, their little uh, uh, kind of pagan cult going on. And eventually Muhammad started preaching that there's only one God. All these idols are worthless. And the priesthood turned against him. And eventually they gathered up a group of people, you know, because this was their livelihood. You know, there was a lot of money, a lot of offerings given to the priests, uh, you know, to all these different gods and goddesses that they had. So they ran Muhammad, you know, and his followers who accepted the message of one God out of Mecca. But that wasn't good enough. It seemed no matter where they went, Uh, these people from Mecca pursued them. You know, they were just afraid this was going to, you know, because it was a big, uh, a a big tourist attraction as well. People came far and wide to Mecca, you know, to take place in these rituals of these many gods and goddesses. And, you know, they just didn't want this, uh, I guess this one religion, one God religion spreading. So they, continued to pursue the Muslims no matter where they went, and many of them died. And eventually it is said that Muhammad uh, went seeking the will of God about this, and that's when it came. You know, you're allowed to defend yourself, kill them where you find them. You know, if they make war, you know, uh, you're allowed to, you know, slay them. But if they make peace, so must you. You know, if they lay down the sword, you lay down your sword. So basically that was a call for the Muslims to be able to defend themselves. It wasn't a call to go on widespread uh, killing sprees in the name of God uh, by any stretch. And unfortunately... um, after the death of Muhammad, because they say Islam during the time of Muhammad was actually very peaceful and very progressive. And it was after the death of Muhammad when things started getting um, tricky. And, you know, this is the problem with human beings because there's always the power struggle of the ego. When And, and this is why there's this uh, Shia-Sunni split in Islam, because when Muhammad died, there was one person that everybody believed uh, was going to be his successor to carry on the message. But there was one group who said, no, we want it to be this guy. It's this person who's the rightful successor. And there was a split. So right away there were these uh, these power struggles among uh, some Muslims, and then I think it was I think it was one to three hundred years after the the death of Muhammad that this book was written called the Hadith, 
And in Islam, the Hadith is to believe right next to the Quran. You know, it's it's incredibly important. But what the Hadith is, was an individual who went around and started collecting sayings, you know, hundreds of years after the death of Muhammad, asking people if they ever heard any stories about the Prophet. And basically, if if you read the Hadith, there's some very good ones, some very nice ones, some very enlightened ones. But then there's some very bad ones. Uh, talking about, you know, Muhammad beheading uh, 300 Jews in one day or some such thing. And uh, that's where the story comes from, the Hadith. And basically, 100 to two, 300 years later, as people going, oh yeah, I, I had a grandma who... Uh, knew a guy who knew a guy who said he knew a guy that, you know, uh, knew the prophet and, you know, this is what he said. Uh, this is what happened. And, uh, there's a big, a big, uh, it's getting, it's getting more footing now in Islam, uh, more, uh, educated and progressive, uh, Muslims understanding and knowing, saying a lot of these hadiths. Um, are obviously not authentic because they uh, they contradict the Quran. They contradict uh, what we actually know about the temperament and personality of the Prophet. Uh, for example, and this is one that I always give: uh, when one goes to the evening prayer or any prayer in Islam, uh, their designated prayer times during the day, they have to be clean. They have to wash, their clothes have to be clean, and there's the stipulation in the Quran, you know, that if you've had, you know, relations with, with your husband, your wife, make sure you are clean, bathe, you know, don't don't come to the, you know, the, uh, the prayer, you know, with uh, the stain of semen, you know, on your clothes or, you know, on your body, you know, just make sure that you're clean. And there's a hadith that's included in... Um, quite a few of the collections uh, among Muslims that talks about Muhammad coming to the evening prayer with his his robe uh, stained with semen where he had sex with, you know, his wives. So right there, that would be a contradiction, you know, that, you know, if that were true, you know, <laughs> this guy's not living the religion he preaches in the holy book he's saying was revealed to him. Because, uh, you know, here he is, he's, you know, <laughs> coming to the evening prayer meeting with, uh, you know, stains all over his robe, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, nasty. So the, there's a lot of things like this and, and they're saying, you know, these hadiths really have to be, uh, looked through which ones are, you know, may be authentic, uh, which ones are not, which ones contradict what we know about the prophet, which ones contradict the writings in the Quran, and uh, depending on the sect and the group, because it's like any other religion, and you get these imams who, you know, they want to be like the priests in Christianity, we're the ones in charge, we're the ones who, you know, tell you everything you need to know, follow what we say, and some of them, uh, like the clergy in Christianity, are, uh, you know, nasty buggers, and... Um, they will include in their collection of hadith the most outrageous and violent, unauthenticated ones 
just to say we're allowed to do this nasty, violent, terrible thing because the prophet did it, even though it contradicts, uh, completely contradicts what is written in the Quran. So that's one of the, uh, one of the big problems is with the, uh, the Hadith, uh, having these haphazard collections of things that are, um, just completely outrageous. And uh, the other uh, question, you know, people want to know is, you know, what about this going to heaven and getting uh, seven virgins or whatever the case may be? Uh, that is not in the Quran um, at all. That actually came from another book. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name because it was an Arabic name. It was, it was written uh, a number of years ago. And um, I think the book was called The Way the Way of Islam. And he was the one who came up with this notion uh, that when one goes to paradise or heaven, uh, God will give him, you know, like 70 virgins or whatever the case may be. Um, and people just believed it. You know, it just became a thing because I guess the book was very popular among uh, Muslims at the time. So like any other religion, you know, there's, there's problems, there's, uh, men interfering, you know, inserting their ideas, inserting their doctrines, inserting these, uh, very screwed up, um, you know, Hadith writings, not explaining to people how uh, the Quran was actually written. You know that each each verse, each chapter was written, or as uh, you know, each surah, as they call it, was written, uh, and it had its historic contents as to what was going on in the life of Muhammad and the early Muslims, and uh, it, it gets messy. It gets messy when people do this, and, you know, if if you look back at Islam, you know, people will say, historians say it, that there was a time where it was the most progressive religion um, in the world, you know, as far as, you know, adherence to science, scientific and mathematical discoveries, you know, the, their civilizations were very modern. Uh, there was a time in the Muslim countries where, you know, women didn't have the uh, the hijab. Uh, I think it's called the scarf they put around their head and you can only see their eyes. You know, the, there was a time where this wasn't so. You know, but this more very political, very superstitious, very, uh, dare I say, convoluted. Uh, version of Islam started taking over largely because um, the governments, you know, began as they do today. You know, they have this religious political system that's very oppressive. And, uh, you know, it's something that spread and, you know, there's, there's so much that was lost and it, it took the Muslim nations and the Muslim religion uh, Back to the Stone Age. It took away, you know, all education, all science, 
all the wonderful things that, you know, early Islam was giving to their communities and even the world. And um, it's it's sad to see, but th this is why a lot of Muslims want to come to America. So they can practice their religion uh, without all of this oppression and all this fear and all of this uh, superstition. Um, I was uh, reading a book written by a uh, a Sufi Muslim, which you know was the the mystic branch of Islam, and he was saying you know that through his journey through Islam before he he uh, entered into Sufism. He remembers being at a mosque and hearing the uh, the imam preaching that, you know, if ever a Muslim were to neglect the prayer at dawn, um, his punishment will be severe in the hereafter and there will be heavy stones piled upon his head, you know. And, uh, you know, he was saying, you know, what, a, what an awful and terrible thing to tell people and what a, uh, what a horrendous image of God, you know, to brand in people's minds. So there, there are a lot of uh, Muslim scholars and historians and teachers and um, even uh, those in Sufism who are really calling for the reform of Islam and saying, you know, it has so much to offer the world in way of spirituality and meditation and personal peace, living in peace with one another. And, and it does. If, if you get into the mechanics of what Islam really is, and even the name Islam, you know, we, we get this thing, you know, you have some of the Muslim, oh, you know, Islam, it means, you know, submission to God. We are his servants. And that might be so, but Almost their definition and their tone is angry about it. You know, submission! <laughs> you know? But actually what Islam means is peaceful submission to God. And it just means peacefully submitting to the higher laws of the universe, a higher way of living, doing right. It has nothing to do with being beaten down to your knees and... You know, heavy stones piled on your head, you know, in the afterlife if you uh, didn't say a prayer at dawn or anything of this nature. So, again, like any other religion, it's it's had a lot of things, uh, you know, injected and inserted into it that really turned it into uh, a mess. And uh, generally... You know, it's it's usually the people that make the mess that come to the forefront of a thing and uh, seem to have the loudest voices. They're very aggressive. You know, this is why even when you see terrorist attacks in the United States or, you know, in Europe, and we don't get to see it here, not much of it anyway, but you see these, you know, these poor Muslim people you know, in these countries, you know, standing out in the streets, you know, by their, you know, disheveled little homes in the middle of the desert, you know, holding signs saying, we're sorry, America, this is not, this is not the religion of our prophet. You see, most of the people there are oppressed with this military, you know, military style political Islam 
that's, you know, overtaking the government and the country. And they don't want, they don't want that, uh, that form of Islam. They, they'd much rather be freed from it. And those who can, you know, go to, uh, you come to the United States, Canada, Europe, and of course some of the, uh, the radicals do as well. Um, but it's, it's a sad thing to see because if, if you understand, you know, these things about Islam, you understand, uh, you know, how the Quran was written, you understand about the Hadith, what the problems are there with it, and you, you start to brush away some of the dust and sand, you, you do find a very peaceful, a very enlightening religion. But it's, it's difficult. I'm right now taking a course in what is called Rokia, which is a, uh, a Muslim form of mystical healing through recitation or reading of the Quran over a person. And it's something I've always been very interested in. And I actually found a, a course that's quite thorough and uh, explaining how it's done. And I was very glad to hear the instructor say, you know, some people who try to teach Rokia make it seem like, you know, brain surgery or open heart surgery, but it's not. It's actually uh, very simple. So it's uh, it's it's quite a it's quite a nice class. But uh, I also the the individual teaching it is is not a Sufi, and. Um, you know, just some of the things that he says uh, sometimes uh, when referring to the Quran or the Prophet or, you know, the religion of Islam. Uh, you know, it makes my toe, my toes curl a little bit in my shoes because, and, and this, this is someone from the, from the Western states. He's, he's someone from uh, the UK who converted to Islam. And uh, obviously his background and his, his training is, is very much in this. There will be severe punishment. and blah, 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 blah. So you know, he, he sometimes gets on these rants and I'm like, oh boy, can we just stick to the point, you know, instead of trying to indoctrinate with the heaviness and the fear, you know, of, uh, of uh, this, this particular form of Islam because this is what drives people away from religion. This is what drives people away from God. It's what is sinking the ship of Christianity here in the West. And it's starting to sink the ship of Islam, even in Islamic countries, because we're seeing a lot of uh, people of Islamic descent uh, coming to the United States and some who even live there. Uh, saying uh, they don't care what happens to them. They're not practicing Islam anymore. It's, it's been such an oppressive uh, religion and philosophy in their lives, just teaching them to hate, hate, hate by the government and the imams. And people are starting to jump ship. People are looking for something better. And it's sad. And, and you know, it's... Um, it's one of those things in Islamic prophecy where it said that Muhammad himself said that when, after he died, there would be those who would come and change the religion, and the religious teachers among you will be the worst of men, and they will teach uh, people falsehoods and to actually be those who make mischief 
upon the earth rather than those who, you know, worship Allah in peace. So we see that happening. And as many of the Sufis say, you know, that, you know, they see a lot of um, Orthodox Muslims who, who try to cling to an old way of life that is no longer valid for them or their religion. You know, you have Muslims who think speaking in Arabic, uh, Arabic is some sacred uh, magical language that you must speak in. You can never read the Quran unless you can read Arabic and can read it in Arabic. And uh, many scholars say that's, you know, just not true and that's ridiculous. But, you know, even in the Rokia class I'm taking, you know, you'll get English-speaking uh, Muslims will be talking, and then there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and then suddenly their their thought is interrupted because is you know, and then you know it's it's Arabic for like five minutes, and they start speaking English again, and it's like okay, you know, did you ever stop to think there might be people here that don't speak Arabic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you don't even explain what it was you said in Arabic. I mean, that's it's kind of. Uh, and I've heard that from people uh, in the West who converted to uh, uh, Islam as well. They say they go to the mosque, they 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 want to worship, they want to pray, but when the imam gets up to speak, they have no idea what he's saying because it's all in Arabic, even though there's many people from the West in the mosque uh, there for the message and who converted to Islam, um, but they have no idea, you know, what's being said because it, it's it's almost like the Catholic Mass, where, where some people say it must be said in Latin. If it's not said in Latin, you know, it, it doesn't work. You know, the sacredness is gone. You know, it has to be said, you know, the Latin Mass. And, you know, to, to some Muslims, Arabic is uh, kind of like the, um, the Islamic Latin. You know, we all must be, you know, inshallah, you know, all that... Uh, I picked up a few phrases, but I, I in no way, uh, uh, you know, speak it or read it. So, you know, there's a long-winded answer. You know, I wanted to get all this in in about a half an hour, and I know I said a lot and uh, kind of shot through all of this uh, in this show to, to try to make these points as why is um, Islam considered a violent religion? And why are some Muslims violent? And, it, you know, a show like this, it, it, it can't end without talking about why some of the terrorist groups were born. What was the origin uh, of this in our modern world? And what we have to understand is that when the Jews were dispersed from the land of Israel, that that land was uninhabited for over a thousand years. So the Palestinian people, of course, they migrated in, they started building their homes and their cities and their towns, and they lived there for a long time. And then one day in the 1960s, when uh, they decided the United States and Europe were going to send all the Jews back home to their homeland, uh, and make Israel a state because it's written in biblical prophecy and we're going to help this to happen. They basically went over there, you know, with uh, the, our armies 
and uh, knocked on doors and said, guess what? This is their land. Get out. So how would you feel if you and your ancestors lived in a land for 800 years, 900 years, 500 years, and then one day, knock, knock, get out. It's not yours. And uh, they moved you out physically by force. Killed you if you didn't leave because, hey, this is their land. And we hear so much about the um, the three-day war, you know, those those dastardly Muslims, you know, uh, tried to wage war on the, the newfound Israeli state, you know, but they were beaten back by the good guys. Well, yeah, they, they tried to take their homes back. They, they were basically thrown out on the street. They were homeless. They had nothing. You know, this was not done peacefully. This was not done diplomatically. It was just, we don't care. Get out. And so over time, as we know, the, the Palestinians, they still don't have a land of their own. They still don't have proper homes. You know, they're... they're they're like prairie dogs, you know, just, just lost in the desert sands. And it seems everybody's got to sit around and argue, you know, should we give them land or shouldn't we give them land? Should we give them the Gaza Strip? No, we shouldn't. Should we give them this? No, we shouldn't. And these people are, you know, these people are, pardon my language, pissed off. Because their ancestors, their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents... Some of them, when they were kids, you know, this was only 1960s folks, thrown out of their homes with nothing. And some of them peacefully go through it. They, they pray for, you know, a day when things will be better. But then there is the more angry and violent among them who form these groups, you know, that uh, our enemies must be destroyed. And that's the genesis of why there are some Islamic groups and terrorist groups who say Israel must be destroyed and so must America. And that's what it stems back to. Not that that's right. It's absolutely wrong. Two wrongs do not make a right. But certainly from there, the, uh, the terrorist group ideology has spiraled in other directions, in different directions. Who is the great Satan? Who deserves to die? Who should be, you know, beaten into submission? Who should we form, you know, jihad against? You know, it starts going in all kind of wacko uh, uh, directions with these, uh, these sects. But uh, that, that was pretty much uh, the genesis of it. And why uh, some uh, Muslim groups, and there's there's quite a lot of them who who see Israel as this enemy that needs to be destroyed. There's a resentment there. That's why there is the resentment between uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians. And um, again, it's not right. But we always have the idea that, you know, those damn Muslims, how, you know, their three-day war, those bad people that always tried to, you know, come and, 
you know, overtake that fledgling nation of Israel because they just hate them so badly. They're such bad people. This is why. It's like your family buying a home and it's in your house for generations. And one day somebody comes and knocks on the door and says, um, the previous owner, uh, the previous owner's kids who own this land before your great, great, great grandfather, uh, this is actually their land. Uh, you have to get out and there's cops and there's guns and they throw you out in the ditch in the middle of a desert or the wilderness and just say, there you go. Screw you. All right. You know, <laughs> you know, the new people can move into your house and just, you know, take it over. Yeah, you'd be mad. So, you know, we simply, and that's again, in, in, uh, Christianity, the, the Zionist movement, movement, pro-Israel, you know, the, the Christian Zionist movement, because they believe that that, that move in the 1960s was biblical. It was righteous. It was what God wanted. And they take no account or no thought for what they did to these other people who are still displaced to this day. Who have their little desert towns walled off with chain link fence from crossing over. They can't even step a toe over the line to Israeli uh, country. To go to hospitals, they need us. They need to go into Israel, and they they have to get papers and documents to go into Israel to go to the hospital to get life saving treatment. And sometimes the guards at the gate look at their legal papers and deny them entry, beat them down with the butt of their 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 rifles. Some of the Palestinian towns walled off from the Israeli land with chain link fence over their marketplaces. And as they go and try to buy, you know, meat and vegetables and shop, there are Israeli citizens on the other side of that fence in apartment buildings and houses throwing toilet water with sewage in it down on the Palestinian people below because they're looked at as dogs. See, this is what we don't see. This is what we don't hear. And again, that's that's not an excuse to say, yeah, let's you know rally those terrorist groups because the terrorist groups are insane. They're evil. It's just another sect of Islam that has poisoned and polluted and is destroying the religion with with this ideology. But again, it's it's not what it was meant to be. It's not what. Uh, a lot of modern-day Muslims want it to be. And so there's a, a lot of issues there, a lot of things we don't understand, a lot of things we take for granted. And, um, you know, uh, I, for one, think uh, the world should do something for these poor people that are just oppressed and live, you know, maybe a step or two above homeless people in the middle of a desert. You know, the Israeli government orders these, you know, complexes to be built so they have better homes. They build it, and then the Israeli people move into it and say, no, you can't have this either. Beat it. It's it's such terrible treatment that these people get. You know, but through that 
Zionist lens of evangelical Christianity, we're always seeing, you know, how the, you know, those people are the bad guys. So again, we, we, we have screwed up religion in evangelical Christianity and fundamentalist Christianity, creating another Frankenstein of screwed up religion, you know, uh, in, in these, uh, extremist groups in Islam. And this is just goes to show that when man gets involved in religion, tries to take it over, tries to dictate what it is, what it means, how everybody should behave, how everybody should worship, um, it becomes a real mess. And that's why truth uh, is so hard to find in this world. You know, all of us who are seekers are always seeking because there's so much rubbish that we need to get through. So many lies, so much disinformation, so many man-made doctrines and things that are inserted into the holy books that were written by men and councils and popes and you know it it really and and there's no religion that's free from that sort of thing and it just makes the discovery of the truth that much more difficult to find and that's one of the reasons i really like sufism because they say you know of course you have the quran you have prayer uh, you have the life of the prophet and some of the things that he said. And of course, the other prophets, Moses, and of course, Jesus, and many others. But the ultimate truth is making connection with God in your own heart. It's experiencing the divine within yourself. And uh, that's something I've believed all my life, even when it was buried under religious garbage. Because a lot of religion is garbage. <laughs> and, you know, you really have to listen with the heart and experience with the heart. And that is where we will find more truth and more peace from the divine. So, folks, I went a little overtime. I'm going to shut up now. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope uh, you got something out of it and learned something that you didn't know before. I appreciate you listening. Stay safe. Stay well. Treat one another with love, decency, and respect, no matter what your religion is, no matter what the color of your skin is, no matter what nationality someone is. We're all human beings. We all deserve acceptance, love, and just respect from one another. Thank you again for, for listening. I'll talk to you again next time here on the Mind's Eye Podcast.